0: Well, please have your Bibles open. We are going to be in Corinthians this morning. Let me see if I can put that there without it falling off. Very good. I'm going to grab a tissue and blow my nose because I had a good cry at the piano. And um, can someone grab me a clickery thing from up the back, please? I'm going to need a, a clickery thing this morning. Everyone look away. Yes? the minister is also a human. Yeah, yeah. For which my wife is immensely thankful. Um, I had the chance recently uh, to, to sit in a classroom with a whole lot of other ministers from different denominations and, and chaplains from all over the place, and they talked about the way in which the minister is a symbol and the minister is a human being. And uh, someone made the comment, they're a particularly good symbol when you strike them hard enough with a big mallet. LAUGHTER um, Wrong kind of symbol. All right, we are in Corinthians. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and I think we're at like week 24. Uh, We have some of the really great, difficult stuff coming up soon. Not that any part of Corinthians has been particularly comfortable or easy. But this morning we're going to be in chapter 10. And after chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul was really settling in on this one big idea that because of Christ, we have freedom. We have freedom. We have grace that your rightness before God no longer is is attached to or anchored to the keeping of the Old Testament law. Your rightness before God is now anchored in the sacrifice of Christ. That That has sunk in and the Corinthian church has gone fantastic. So if our rightness before God is now anchored in Christ and we don't have to keep any of the Old Testament law, then we're just going to do whatever we feel like and God will be fine with that. And Paul is winding them back from the edge, not because he wants to bring them back under the Old Testament law, but because Paul wants them to live as transformed people. Paul wants them to actually get hold of the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and for that to soak in and transform their life. And so Paul says, because of the grace of God, even though now you are free to actually eat meat that's been offered to some foreign idol, that was the specific context he was speaking in, says, you know what? Because of confusion, because of people having a weak conscience, or because of people lacking knowledge, let's step back from that. If we're entitled to something, stepping back from what we are entitled to actually sharpens the edge of us being able to, to talk to other people. And so we talked about entitlement out of chapter 8 and chap, out of chapter 9. Um, finish of it there. And we talked about then last week what what we do then, with that, do we do we run as people who are aimless or do we run as people, as Paul says here, um, I do not run like so, uh, someone running aimlessly, verse 26, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, that these things which he steps back from, the way that he actually puts his body um, almost into, into submission, into subjugation, that he doesn't just eat anything, that he feels like it is, again, the specific context he's talking to then is for a purpose, that the gospel is his purpose. Everything about him is shaped by him wanting people to get hold of Jesus. So we're going to read through um, the first section of chapter 10, then we're going to talk about it, because Paul sort of changes topic here and sort of doesn't. But before we do that, we're going to talk about having an aha moment. I had a wonderful aha moment this last week. Anyone here knows what I mean when I use the phrase aha moment? Okay, that's kind of... Colloquially, it means that you have had an epiphany or an apotheophany, depending on which which school of kind of critical thinking. Yeah, aha moment. Let's go with aha moment. So I had an aha moment last night, and this this I think is going to be helpful in some way. Um Humphrey B. Bear is going to help us later on this morning, but we're going to start with an aha moment. And sometimes aha moments happen and they have a powerful effect on our behaviour. So I had an aha moment this last week where I was sitting in my backyard. We have a little place where we set things on fire. Praise God. And as I sat there, I realized that I was more flammable than I had initially thought. Yeah, aha, aha. Has anyone here had an aha moment where they realized they were flammable? Yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Yes. Yeah, where we realise that we are flammable. Um, so you guys know I, I love getting dirty and filthy, working on cars and all sorts of stuff. I have a special pair of jeans, which I call my play pants. I have play pants. And they have they have a number of substances that have soaked into them, including WD-40, um, including motor oil, including a um, whole bunch of different things. And as I sat next to this fire and my knees got really, really, really warm and it was wonderful, I realised that I was quite flammable, and that in order for me to be safe, I should probably make a decision to remove myself from, from not from my pants, no. I will send you to the back of the room, play a song, have a good cry, now we're laughing. It is an emotional roller coaster this morning. <laughs> Safe church. Um, to remove myself from how close I was sitting to the fire. And I want you to keep that in your mind because as we read through chapter 10, Paul is going to be talking about here being in a situation where actually we need to remove ourselves from the situation. So I'm going to need your help this morning taking this metaphor of actually being more flammable than we thought we were, and we're going to apply this into situations where we find ourselves. But let's read through Corinthians chapter 10 first, and then we're going to start with the very obvious things, and then we're going to move from the very obvious things to to maybe the implications for us. I've highlighted some words up here because there's, there's kind of four different groups of people um, in this passage of Scripture. There's God, who is being spoken about, Paul talks about himself. Paul talks about uh, the ancient nation of Israel and Paul talks about the Corinthians. Um, So I've tried to highlight them in different colors just so it helps us with our comprehension. Verse 1, chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, talking to the Corinthian church, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea, talking about the, the cloud by day and the fire by night when the Israelites exited out of Egypt. Verse two, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They passed through water. We see that image getting picked up by Peter in the New Testament. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna that fell from heaven. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Paul is talking about the ancient nation of Israel and here he's saying actually it was Christ that was providing for them. The pre-existent, pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the triune God. He was with them. Verse 5, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not... Be idolaters, So someone who worships idols, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We're going to look at that in a moment. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Paul is saying we get the revelation of God in a way that they never did. These things were written down as warnings for us. Verse 12, here is Paul's big point. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and god is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it we're going to come back to verse 13 because it's a verse that you like me probably would have heard a whole lot of different times in different contexts and it's a verse which is often misquoted and when we see where paul anchors this it helps us um, to understand how we actually take that and apply it. So please flick over in your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And we're going to read verses 18 and 19. Because Paul here is uh, referencing the history of Israel. Exodus 32, verse 18. Well, let's go verse 17. Exodus 32, verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Like up here, verse 7. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Verse 18 in Exodus. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands. These are the tablets he brought down from the mountain, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Close your Bible on your finger or you'll read on. Paul, in this passage of Scripture that we have for us today, writes to the Corinthians and he gives them four different examples of times when the Israelite people thought that they were completely okie-dokie with God, And actually there were behaviors that started going on which God did not find acceptable. And He is drawing a parallel between the ancient nation of Israel and then his modern-day nation of the church in Corinth in the city. So in the same way that we are looking back to Corinth, Paul is looking back to Israel. Paul is looking back to Israel and saying these are examples for us to see ways that we may be tempted the same way that the Israelite people were tempted. This whole passage is about temptation to sin, temptation to actually not be God's people, to not behave like it. And the first one is this, idol worship. And we see here in Exodus, this example of people who had just come through this amazing experience with God and all of a sudden they got complacent. They found themselves kind of bored at a loose end. They weren't entirely sure what to do. Moses has gone up the mountain. It's taking too long. We're kind of bored. And they give their attention and they give their passion. They give their resources to something which is not God. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, in the same way that Israel was tempted, we too might end up being idol worshippers. And if Paul is looking at this example as something that applies to Corinth, then us here today that are looking back to Corinth, maybe we need to take this and add it to our radar as well as to go, actually, is there something in my own life that I'm giving my attention to other than God? Is there something which is consuming my thinking? Is there something which is sucking up my resources? Is there something that my identity is attached to? Is there something that I am pinning my hopes on that is not God? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's an object, maybe it's a title, maybe it's a qualification. Whatever we pin our hopes on, whatever that thing is that we think is going to rescue us and and to take us to a more heavenly existence, that is actually the thing which we have allowed to take the place of God. The second example which Paul gives them here, verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. Skip over to the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to be in chapter 25. And if you have not in your spare time ever sat down and read through the book of Numbers, I encourage you to do so. It is, it is absolutely fascinating and scary for a bunch of different reasons. We're about to read some of these different reasons. Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 to 9, says this. While Israel Israel was staying in Shaitim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meat and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. In other words, they adopted the god because of their promiscuity. And the Lord's anger burned against them. Remember, these are God's people. These are the people that God has rescued. These are the people that he has said, you, you are going to be my torchbearers, um, my officebearers torch office in the world. Awesome. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. Verse 6, then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and close your Bible on your finger because there's kids in the service. Go home and read the rest of the story. Paul, verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. It gets worse. It is easy for us. And remember, Paul is talking to a church that had got hold of the grace of God. And it, sometimes it's, it's easy for us to go, we're not under the law. God gives us grace. God gives us mercy. God does not give us the penalty we deserve Jesus is the propitiation, that's the fancy word, he's the thing that diverts the wrath of God off us onto him so that we can stand before God and actually receive love from God. Absolutely, 100%. At no point does God stop taking sin seriously. If God did not take sin seriously, Jesus never would have turned up. So it's something for us as people who claim to have received the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God to go, actually, am I living now as someone who has been set free from the curse of sin and death? Is that actually what my life now looks like? Paul here is giving this advice to a group of Christians, a group of Christ followers. Verse 9, stay in the book of Numbers, but skip back to chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, testing God. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Numbers chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. When Israel, then Israel made this vow to the Lord, if you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their town, so the place was named Horma. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. Many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people. And then we have this picture of the bronze snake. Here are people who are putting God to the test. They are impatient with Moses and they are impatient with God. These are people who say to God, what you have given me is not good enough. It is not good enough. And the fourth picture here is not testing God, but is grumbling. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels. Stay in the book of Numbers. Skip back to chapter 16. I'm going to skip through, read read all of chapter 16 when you get home. It is extraordinary. But we'll start reading from verse 31. Numbers chapter 16, verse 31. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. Verse 33, chapter 16. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest, to remove the censers from the charred remains. And scatter the coals some distance away, for the senses are holy. The senses of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives. Hammer the senses into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have become holy. Let them be assigned to the Israelites. So Eliezer the priest collected the bronze censers brought by those who had been burned to death, and he had them hammered out to overlay the altar as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one except a descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord, or he would become like Korah and his followers. Get this, verse 41. The next day, the next day, right? The whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people. They said, the ground opened up and swallowed people and then fire from God came out. They grumbled against Moses. This is your fault, Moses. Verse 42. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting. It's like showdown time. And the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it, along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and to the midst of the assembly the plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Grumbling, in Paul's examples, sits alongside idolatry and sexual immorality, and testing God. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, look back at what God thought of these behaviors. And again, verse 12, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Just as the Corinthians were claiming to be God's people, because of the revelation of Christ, just as we today make that claim, we claim that we are the people of God because of the revelation of Christ, so too the Israelites had revelation. And Paul here says that they actually had baptism and God among them personally. Let me ask you a question. This is not a trick question. How many Israelites that left um, and went through the desert actually made it into the promised land? Two, and we know their names. Two Israelites made it through the desert and into the promised land. We need to be very, very, very careful. We need to take Paul's advice here to heart. If we think we are standing firm, there are things that can knock us off our perch, so to speak. There are things that can actually cause us to have some aha moments. Paul here is talking about the temptation to uh, idolatry, the temptation to sexual immorality, the temptation to test God, the temptation to grumble. And what does he say then here in verse 13? No temptation has overtaken you, he says to the Corinthians, except what is common to mankind. That temptation that you have to whinge and complain and carp and whine And grumble is completely common to mankind. The temptation you have to sexual immorality is common to mankind. The temptation you have to let your heart become caught up in things that are not God is common to mankind. The temptation you have, the temptation I have, the temptation we have to test God with our impatience is common to mankind. It is common to mankind. And here is the point. God. Is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Let's just let that idea sit for a minute. God actually knows that you have a ceiling. God knows that you have a limit. He knows that you have a capacity that you can actually withhold the temptation to sin against God. That there is a point at which the temptation for for idolatry or for sexual immorality, there's a point at which that temptation will exceed your capacity. There is a point at which you run out of self-will. There is a point at which it will exceed your capacity, and God knows exactly where that is. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. God knows that you have a limit. God knows that you have a breaking point for your self-will, and he knows when it will be too much and when you will actually give in to temptation. He knows where that is, and he has preordained a way out. That is how good God is. That is how well God knows you. That is how intimately God knows what you are going through in any minute of any day. That's how big God is. God knows that you have a cap. So what does God do? I sit by the fire. And I say, Lord, I'm quite flammable this moment. I've had an aha moment. And I realize that my pants have a limit at which they will actually ignite. And so I pray and I say, God, please change the supernatural condition of these genes so that they will be far less flammable. Silly picture, I know. Some of us do this. For some of us, this fire is actually sexual immorality. Or for some of us, this fire is grumbling and complaining. Or for some of us, this fire is actually idolatry. And what happens is we are in the room and something is tempting us to sin against God. And what we do is we go, God, give me strength. Maybe we don't growl outwardly, but there's this thing that happens inside. Maybe you don't. Okay, I do this sometimes. And we go, Lord, please change the the condition of my soul that I can resist this temptation. What does Paul say here? God is faithful. He knows you, you have a cap. He knows that you have a limit. And what does he do? Tell me, what does it say? Verse 13, what does God provide? A way out so that you can endure it. God will help you to endure temptation. How does he help you to endure temptation? Verse 13. Get out. If you're at a party and you are tempted towards sexual sin, guess what? God has given you a way out of the party. If you are in a room and there is a business deal about to happen and it is going to require you to sin, God has given you a way out. If you are at... uh, at an event, and there is an opportunity for you to to become so enamored with something, or it's up late and and you're on the home shopping channel and you go, oh, that's the thing that I need. I need that thing in my life and and that's going to save me. That's going to transform my life. Or, oh, there's this person and that person's going to transform my life. Whatever it is that is misplaced, God, God has given you a way out. How does God help us to endure temptation? He gives us a way out because he knows that we have a cap. Aha moments. Aha, I am actually flammable. Aha, I actually have a limit. There is a limit to your capacity to resist temptation. Let's let that sink in for a moment. Because some of us, we have this idea that when we really, 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 really walk with Jesus, our capacity to resist temptation will become limitless. That is not what scripture teaches. God has preordained a way out because we are limited creatures. God is limitless. We are limited. And when we understand that we are limited, it actually brings some humility back in for us where we go, okay, Lord, I need a way out of this, please. Lord God, help me to get out. Help me to get away from the fire with my oil-soaked soul. Help me to see the exit strategy that you have provided for me in in this temptation. Lord, help me to endure. Enable me to get out. So let's let's pick on Humphrey for a moment. You guys are going to help me with an example of this because we need this to sink in. Does anyone else remember Humphrey? Okay, cool. Fantastic. He never said much. Um, this one's a little bit secondhand, but that's okay. We'll, we'll talk about my need for counseling later, Flo. That's okay. So we'll pick on Humphrey because I thought, oh, I'll, I'll get someone this morning and I'll pick on them. And I'm like, no, 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 this is too close to the bone. So we're going to pick on Humphrey. So let's say that, um, that Humphrey is going to be um, tempted. Someone yell out one of those four things. We had complaining first. So Humphrey is going to be tempted to complain. Uh, All right, is he he with family or friends or at work? work? He's at work. Humphrey's at work, and Humphrey is going to be tempted to complain, okay? Now, ordinarily, Humphrey would just be going about his daily business, and when the opportunity to complain comes up, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he feels this thing coming up in his heart, and he wants to complain about something. But now he has read the scriptures and the Holy Spirit is poking him and reminding him, no, 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 no. God makes a way out. God helps us to endure. And so then what is going to change in Humphrey's thinking? You're allowed to yell out. What is going to change in Humphrey's thinking? He's no longer just going to speak out his complaint, is he? What is he going to go looking for instead? Instead. He's going to go looking for the way out. That means that he's going to think of the conversation that he's in and he's actually going to be measuring and assessing his workplace conversations on the basis of scripture. He's going to be evaluating himself on the basis of scripture and he's going to make a different decision. It means that he's going to have to leave a conversation around a water cooler, if people still have water coolers, around the water cooler, that maybe he always would have been in before, there's going to be some implications around that. Can we see that this, this is simple stuff, but if it, if it didn't mean anything to God, then you have a whole lot of Israelites who would have made it through the desert. Paul says, If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Silly little example, I know. One more thought and then we're going to pray and wrap up for this morning. Okay. Um, My strength has a limit. I know we sort of joked about this earlier, that the pastor is a symbol and the pastor is a person. My strength has a limit and your strength has a limit. We are not limitless. Your capacity to resist temptation is, is not limitless, it is limited. And it means that when we recognize that we are at our limit, if we choose to try and power through rather than choosing to go, actually God has provided a way out for me, then what's actually on display is not our submission to God, it is our pride. That we actually need to eat humble pie sometimes and go, I'm not going to go into that situation because I know that I will be tempted to sin and I'm weak in that way. That will be above my limit, so I'm not going there. This is how we stack things into our life to help us live as transformed people. There is an old, old uh, story about a um, about a holy man. It was not a Christian. Um, He was was a follower of another faith who was so adamant that he had the capacity to resist a particular kind of temptation that he would surround himself continually with that temptation. I suggest to you this morning that that's a really dumb idea. Sometimes we do it. Whatever we're tempted to, let's say that we're tempted to, to, uh, to complain, we surround ourselves with people whose, whose behavior is complaining behavior. We continually put ourselves in an environment where we know that people are going to encourage us to complain, or we continually put ourselves in situations where sexual immorality becomes an option. We continually put ourselves in situations where, where idolatry is an option, where we are filling our mind and our eyes continually with things that can take the place of God. We are continually putting ourselves in situations where we will test God. It is pride to stay when we recognise God's opportunity for us to get out. So my very simple conclusion this morning is this: get out, get out. When the heat is on and when you are tempted to sin, run. Look for the opportunity God has provided to get out. We see. We see here, um, verse 13 is often misquoted where people say, God will never give you too much for you to handle. God will will never allow you to have temptation that's above your ceiling. Any picture, any piece of theology we have, it's got to be big enough to fit Jesus inside of it. And when we see Jesus in the cross, when we see Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross, it's too much for him to handle. He sweats blood. His physical body is in agony and in anguish. What we see with Jesus is that that moment was not above his capacity to resist temptation, but physically it was too much for him to handle. And there are going to be situations where it is is mind and spirit-breaking stuff. Life happens, we've already talked this morning, we don't get to pick which part of the the brokenness and the damage of this world affects us. We don't pick which part of our body falls apart first. There will be situations which are too much for you to handle. What Paul is talking about in this passage is the temptation to sin against God in those moments. I'm reminded of the story of Job, where Job loses everything. He has his children taken away from him by death. He has everything that he owned destroyed. He has his health taken away from him. And in the middle of it, the Lord leaves his wife with him who says, curse God and die. And in that moment, Job does not give in to temptation. Was the situation too much for him to handle? Yes, it was. But the temptation was to sin against God was not above his limit. We're going to pray and then we're going to do a song to finish this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you know how flammable we are. Thank you that you know how close our soul can get to temptation and still withstand that. You know where the ignition point is, the point where we run out of capacity. And Lord God, we thank you that you are faithful. As Paul says, God is faithful. You are faithful. You provide a way out of the temptation so that we can continue living as your people. Free from not only the curse of sin and death, but free from the lifestyle of sin and death. Free from those things which bring sin and death. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would you would build our capacity, certainly. But Lord, would you give us humility to know actually when we are at our limit, would you give us wisdom to look forward and to think of those situations which may present themselves and to make decisions before we are in the heat of the moment, to pre-plan to honor you. Lord God, for those moments where we are feeling crushed, where the messiness and the brokenness of this world is pressing in on every side, Lord God, would you give us a spine of steel, please. Would you help us to see the difference between the brokenness of this world and the temptation to sin? And that sin is not automatic when the world presses in. Lord God, we love you, we adore you, and we want to be your people. We want to be a blessing to this world. We want to show really clearly and really simply that you are good that you are loving and merciful, that you are forgiving and give grace. Lord God, please help us to represent you faithfully. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.